When it comes to weight loss, no two people are the same. That's why Noom builds personalized plans based on your unique psychology and biology. Take Brittany. After years of unsustainable diets, Noom helped her lose 20 pounds and keep it off. I was definitely in a yo-yo cycle for years of just losing weight, gaining weight, and it was exhausting. And Stephanie. She's a former D1 athlete who knew she couldn't out-train her diet, and she lost 38 pounds. My relationship to food before Noom was never consistent. And Evan, he can't stand salads, but he still lost 50 pounds with Noom. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. Even through the pickiness, Noom taught me that building better habits builds a healthier lifestyle. I'm not doing this to get to a number. I'm doing this to feel better. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom users compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of Captain Hunter's Podcast, the podcast that is dedicated towards bridging the divide between the police and the communities that they serve. I want to thank you all for tuning in, for coming along, for downloading, for liking, subscribing, and for sharing. Thank you so much. And I want to encourage you to continue to do that. Please make sure that you're sharing this podcast, that you're subscribing, and that you are giving it the good thumbs up and rating it highly. Thank you so much in advance of your support. Remember, you can help to support the podcast through Venmo, PayPal, Cash App. All of those are CPTL Hunter, Lawrence Hunter, CPTL Hunter on PayPal. Remember, we have a Patreon page, Captain Hunter's podcast on Patreon. And so those are the ways that you can help to support the podcast. Make sure that this information keeps going and flowing towards you, the listener. Make sure that you are following me on Facebook, Captain Hunter's podcast on Facebook. CPTL Hunter on Twitter, CPTL Hunter on Twitter, CPTL Hunter on Instagram. Uh, those are my social media accounts. So make sure that you are following me and going along with us as we take this journey together. Got a great episode for you today. In this episode, I'm not exactly sure who's actually interviewing who. <laughs> uh, I had a great time talking to a couple of ladies from the Fruit Loops podcast. Fruit Loop Serial Killers of Color is the name of the podcast. I heard of them, as I'll explain in the episode, as a member of podcasting group on Facebook that I'm a member of. Heard about them and uh, took a listen, enjoyed what I heard, enjoyed their their comedy, their their energy. And I know people may say, how much comedy can you have when you talk about serial killers? But they certainly have a way about them uh, that makes it seem more palatable and more uh, easy to listen to as they have a great energy about them. So I wanted to kind of feature them on the show and uh, they were so kind and gracious enough to come on the podcast and we had really, really had a great time talking and um, Wendy and Beth are their names and they came on the podcast and answered a few questions. And next thing I know, they turned the questions on me and uh, I had to answer their questions about law enforcement and, and I'd appreciated that because it showed that they were willing to have the conversation. Um, so many times I've reached out to people and they don't want to talk to police officers. I would assume that many people don't want to talk to police officers, um, but I appreciate them for coming on the show, willing and wanting to have that conversation and, and ask those tough questions of officers or former officers 
and ask them why they do what you do. And, you know, how do you feel when this happens? And how did you feel as a black officer and all that kind of stuff? So it was a great, great uh, time, as you'll get to hear in a few moments here. So just a little bit about the the Fruit Loops Serial Killers of Color podcast. It's a weekly podcast where two true crime enthusiasts bring you stories about people of color who rarely get media coverage, bringing diversity to the true crime conversation. So once again, they have great energy about them. You can listen to their podcast either on the web or on uh, iTunes or Stitcher or, you know, wherever you get your podcast. Make sure that you're tuning in and listening to them. Uh, so just give them a listen. And uh, once again, you know, subscribe to their podcast and become a listener to what they got going on. So we're going to talk to Wendy and Beth in just a minute here. But but before we get into it, during the conversation, you will hear us talk about when I was an instructor at the police academy and I would teach a class called human behavior. Essentially, it was psychology. There were two experiments, psychological experiments that we talked about that I would bring up to the class uh, as I was teaching the first one is the Stanford prison experiment. Uh, just do a little reading up on that. Maybe I'll do a show on that at some point. And the other one that I could not think of the name while we were recording was called the Stanley Milgram experiment. And Stanley Milgram's experiment had to do with uh, Stanley Milgram was a psychologist studying students at Yale University and seeing how far these students would be pushed or allow themselves to be pushed when they thought that an authority was telling them to perform a certain task. Um, and it turns out in most of the cases, 60% of the time, 60 to 70 or even 80% of the time, people will follow directions when they believe that an authority figure, i.e. a police officer or a doctor or a teacher or a politician or whatever, they would do something that is against their own moral code uh, because, and they rationalize it because an authority someone they see as as in a position of authority is telling them to do that. And I talked about this with my uh, students when I taught uh, human behavior because I wanted them to be that small percentage of 25% or so of people who would not follow directions if it was a bad direction, right? I taught this class when I was a supervisor. I was a lieutenant and captain when I taught this class. And I did not want officers to blindly follow directions and orders if they were illegal and unlawful. I know it's difficult. I know it's hard, but, uh, but that was the reason and the point that I talked about the Stanley Milgram experiment, Stanford prison experiment. I also talked about Stanford prison experiment, talked about how far people will go when they have a position of authority and people, we found out through that particular experiment, the Stanford prison experiment, that if you give people authority, then they will act with that authority and they will become abusive in their authority. So that was the reason I talked about those two particular experiments, because I didn't want people to become, I didn't want new officers to become abusive because they, because they had this sense of authority. And when pushed by a senior officer or by a supervisor to do something immoral and or illegal, I wanted them to be those type of people that would stand up and not go for that kind of stuff. So, I could not think of the name of it uh, during the episode, so now you know. So here we go. Here's the episode, Wendy and Beth, Fruit Loops, Serial Killers of Color podcast. So thank you to uh, Wendy and Beth for being on Captain Hunter's podcast. I truly am honored to have a couple of Fruit Loops on, and thank you so much for coming on. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> yes, thank you so much. We're really happy to be here. <laughs> uh, well, thank you. Uh, I got turned on to you guys' podcast because uh, I'm in a member of the podcast group on uh, Facebook, and they were kind of going over different podcasts that people listen to. 
And so your your uh, podcast came up. One of the people in the group said that they were they followed you guys, Fruit Loose Podcast. I'm like, what the heck is this? So, uh, <laughs> so, so yeah, I clicked on it, and you, yeah, you and many others. <laughs> yeah, so I clicked on I clicked on it, and uh, you guys, you guys, energy uh, is is great and fantastic. Um, so I decided to reach out, and uh, I'm glad you so glad you guys came on the show. Well, oh, really happy to be yeah. here. Yeah. Yeah, we are honored. So thank you. Thank you, Captain Lawrence Hunter. <laughs> uh, you bet Wendy and I are going to have some uh, conversations, I can see, because uh, I, I've, I've understood, and I'll get into this a little bit later, that you have a problem with the police, which, which, oh, yes. which, I, which I get. <laughs> so so, so why don't we just start off right here? Let's start on a friendly note here. Why don't you guys tell us about yourself, Wendy and Beth? You go ahead, so- Wendy. Okay, so uh, I'm Wendy Williams, <laughs> and uh, I'm a I'm a, a African American Latinx um, first generation um, woman of color, uh, member of the LGBTQ community. I check a lot of boxes. I'm also a mother uh, of two kids, um, and I host a podcast with my homegirl. Beth, who's the best white lady in the hey. game. And, <laughs> and, uh, we just, uh, we, we started off loving, falling in love with podcasts. And that's sort of how we connected. And then, um, we fell in love. We noticed that we loved true crime and we, um, uh, noticed that there weren't any at the time we started weren't any true crime podcasts about people of color and at first i thought there were no such thing as serial killers uh who were not straight cisgender white dudes but beth the og of true crime was like oh no 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 they they exist and i was like well how come there aren't any podcasts about them and we were like screw it let's just do it ourselves so that's um how fruit loops came about um it's a play on words we have fun talking about true crime. We don't take ourselves seriously at all. And um, we just try to tell stories. There's a lot of nuance that comes with people of color um, all, all across the world. And um, white supremacy um, is something that we get into. We talk about the just the history because it, it does context is everything. And so we, we try to get into um, the nuance of the story, not just the victims and the crimes. So, yeah, we actually, uh, we, uh, thought of doing this podcast, uh, like Wendy said, because, um, we couldn't find another podcast that was talking about people of color and we didn't know why. And I found an article on, uh, psychology today that said that, um, there weren't a lot of stories out there because people weren't that interested in, uh, stories about, people of color, the victims. Mm-hmm. And uh, that I found really offensive. And mm-hmm. Wendy did too, I think. <laughs> oh, yes. And so we wanted no, I, to put those stories out there. Yeah. Go ahead. Uh, I'm offended as well. I'm offended yeah. as well. I didn't. I didn't. <laughs> um, yeah. So you guys talked about a little bit about white supremacy. I mean, did the article talk about why that is? I mean, just people just aren't interested or? Um, people love a story about a beautiful white girl, usually, usually. um, it didn't really talk, it didn't really talk a whole lot about, um, why, but, um, that's what we know why. Yeah. We, (laughs) 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 it's no secret. (laughs) Uh, The secret, the secret is definitely out on that one. Yeah. 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 
so Beth, you are a white woman and obviously you I said am. that you were offended. Yes. <laughs> you were offended by these by this article. So what offended you about it and what made you decide to hook up with Wendy and try to get on this podcast that talked about black people, people of color and crimes and things like that? Um, well, I just find it offensive when people don't want to dismiss a whole uh, race of people saying they're not interested in their stories. That's it's just offensive to me. And I would not have started this podcast by myself, for sure, <laughs> because I don't have the experience that Wendy has um, being a white person. I just don't don't know that much about what it's like to be a person of color. And so Wendy is the the Wendy's the, the resident expert. Yes, the expert <laughs> on that. Yeah. <laughs> but, but Beth, I always say she's the OG of true crime because she's been studying like true crime and psychology just like as a hobby for decades. And I've been a black yeah. woman <laughs> for decades. And so we just the power our, our, <laughs> for a long time now. <laughs> together. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. So. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about the true crime aspect of it. Now, I got to be honest with you. Uh, I was not very much into true crime. As a police officer, I live true crime almost every day, right? I go to right. work and that's what we're right. dealing with all the time. So uh, I did not come home and want to turn on a podcast or, or whatever into it. So how did you yeah. guys each get into true crime and how, what made you so fascinated by it? I'll let Ben go first. Okay. Well, uh, the first true crime book I ever read was Helter Skelter about uh, Charles Manson, and I just thought it was fascinating. And uh, I read a lot of true crime books like Anne Rule and stuff like that. Um, I just found it fascinating, and I've never been able to really figure out exactly why. I think it's because I don't understand it, and I, I'm trying to understand it, and I've come to the realization that I'll never understand it, but that doesn't take away the fascination. So I think that's hmm. what it what it is for me. What about you, Wendy? I uh, just love the gory details, and um, I, I I I just love blood and guts. <laughs> and uh, I I have always like watched Dateline and stuff like that, and been into crimes and stories and stuff like that. But once the 2016 was a pivotal moment in my life, I think in many people's lives. And I, I had been listening at the time to a lot of political podcasts. And come November 2016, I was just done with them because they all deceived me. And so uh, I just started, <laughs> diving in, I started diving into true crime. And I just, I just couldn't get enough of uh, these stories. And, and I was trying to like stump Beth, like, have you heard of this case? Have you heard of this case? Have you heard of that case? And she had like heard of all of them. And then it was, and then, yeah, I, we just, I just became obsessed. So I've been obsessed ever since. I tell the story. Well, I don't actually talk about this story very much. So one day we were working and I worked the midnight shift for a number of years mm -hmm. and somebody had brought in a serial killer book, well, a book about serial killers uh, that lived in, I think, England in the 1800s or so. Was okay. it Jack the Ripper? No, it was about a number of serial killers. It was oh. Jack the Ripper. It was other ones. So we would call it the front desk, right? The booking desk, essentially. So I'm reading it and I read it one night, read it the next night. And like the third night in, I read a chapter or so and I started having nightmares. I'm like, oh, this is enough oh. of this. Oh, so, yeah, yeah. So, so yeah. Uh, <laughs> go ahead. 
Oh, I was just going to say there was one book, and I can't remember what the name of it was, but um, it was by one of the FBI profilers. It wasn't John Douglas. It was a different one. And it, it was getting into the psychology. And I read that one, and I couldn't read true crime for like a year after that. It bothered me so much because oh. it, they went into their heads. And mm. it was really disturbing. <laughs> mm. So I know what you mean. Yeah, sometimes it can get uh, to be too much. Yeah, some so, of these stories can be kind of disturbing, but pretty scary. For the most yeah. part, I just think they're fascinating. Also, um, I I'm pretty open about this on our show, but I struggle with anxiety and depression and stuff. And I don't know. Sometimes hearing about um really really bad things <laughs> happening to other people. Sometimes there's a relief to me, like, you know, oh like, God. I know that's really dark, but at least, at least oh, man, my throat really... hasn't been slashed. You know what I mean? <laughs> man, I really feel bad about today. Oh, well, geez, there's a car accident over there. <laughs> yeah. At least you didn't get murdered. At least you didn't get murdered today. Yeah. Uh, I guess there's always a bright side of every train wreck. Huh? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Woo. Sorry to take it there, but that's uh, fact. Well, I guess that's <laughs> <My> true. truth. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for being honest. <laughs> so with all this that you guys are, are doing and um, you're, you're reading about the stories about and how police are finding people and you, and you talk us through that. And it's a really great job what you guys do on your show about uh, explaining you know, the background, the history of the people, the settings and all that kind of stuff. But let's get into the law enforcement aspect of it as to... Yeah. You know, you guys are reading these stories about how the police are catching people. Um, mm-hmm. But yet, Wendy, you have a problem with uh, police officers. <laughs> I, I do. And uh, it is, it's mostly out of fear. Um, I am uh, very terrified of uh, police officers. Um, I find them to be predatory um, and uh, dangerous to communities of color. And um, as the mother of a young black boy, I am terrified every day. <laughs> uh, and so uh, I, I, my um, disturbance or um, uneasiness with law enforcement is, is mostly out of fear. I've, I've never met a nice police officer. My, I, I avoid them at all costs, like the plague. We have now. You have now. So. <laughs> yes. Yeah, you're the <laughs> nicest yeah. one ever. I've never talked to a nice police officer. Oh, my God. I'm going to mark this day on my calendar. Yeah, yeah, now you can't so, say that anymore, Wendy. I can't, I can't say that. Um, but I do. I, I, um, I, as a black police officer, I want to know how you reconcile with communities that look like you, their fear of you. And how do we bridge that gap? Uh, well, listen, uh, that's, and I didn't pay you to say that. So, uh, but that's, okay. part of, <laughs> but that, that's, you know, obviously that's, that's my tagline. And I do struggle with that. Um, th- that, that is not an easy thing for me. Uh, it never has been. I joined in, uh, 1995 and, um, you know, growing up, I grew up in Waterbury, Connecticut, fairly, oh boy. Uh, yeah. I'm sorry. Well, yeah. and fairly, <laughs> fairly, fairly, uh, how do I say this? Uh, you know, a fairly inner city, uh, type yeah. of, uh, environment. And so mm-hmm. I, I definitely understand what, what people say and what people see. And I understand the police have not always been, uh, our, our friends, you know, um, but 
it has been a struggle. It is a struggle. And I'm trying to understand it. Now, I never had any negative interactions with police officers growing up. Um, I did see them uh, from time to time interact with other, you know, black people, Puerto Rican people, people of color, whatever. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, it never was much of a turnoff to me and they never did anything to me. Now, I had uh, obviously other male role models in my life who were fairly positive. So I don't, I don't, I did not get a negative interaction, right? I grew up in the church and uh, mm-hmm. my pastor, preacher, whatever, did not talk neg- negatively about police. Uh, my uncles did not talk negatively about police. And so I didn't get that negative feelings about it. Um, obviously, everybody jokes about in high school and all that kind of stuff. You know, the police do this, the police do that. They beat people and this, that, and the other. And I, and I, I certainly heard those stories. I never witnessed it myself. So when I became a police officer, I saw the fear that was in people's eyes. I saw a, a look of relief when I showed up on the scene. A lot of times when I was just, when, um, you know, a black off, a black person or black officer shows up to in a group of people. Uh, I saw it when I was a supervisor, a lot of times when, you know, things seem to be going awry. And then as a supervisor, as a sergeant, and then as a lieutenant, I would show up and I can see a look of relief on people's faces. They want to, number one, people want to speak to the supervisor. Number two, they want to speak to obviously someone who looks like them. So I get it. I I get the the fear and the terror that, that goes through some people's hearts and minds. And how do we bridge that gap? That's a really tough question. I'm working on it every day. That's why I started this podcast. It's about talking to people. Talking about the police, talking about what you should do, uh, what and why I say you, I mean the police, what the police should do and what you as, as uh, Joe Public should do and how to interact and everything like that. So everyone can go home safely and so we cannot have these interactions. Uh, contrary to popular belief, I know that we, with the advent of cell phone cameras, we see a lot of ne- negative interactions. But I do believe that the vast majority of police officers really have a good heart. Now, uh, through, through time, through experience, they get jaded. Um, they become negative and, and that's, that's all true, uh, very much so. Um, but that does not mean that I, that the, the vast majority of the police officers are, are bad or negative or whatever. There's a lot of negative that, that comes out with a lot of scandals that have gone on, uh, in LA. They had the Rampart scandal. We had Rodney King, uh, just mm-hmm. a, a recent scandal that has been going on in uh, Baltimore, mm-hmm. uh, about, uh, these um, uh, police officers uh, who are uh, selling drugs, stealing drugs, planting drugs and things like that. And mm-hmm. in, in the case in Baltimore is really partic- is really interesting because if you look at the mugshots of the police officers who have been arrested, half of them or more than half of them are black officers. So this problem that goes with um, being a police officer, it, th- th- there is a problem with white officers who don't understand black people and then go into communities and, and then, um, you know, abuse people. But as we right. can see in Baltimore, even Chicago and other places, you know, it, it's not isolated to, black, to white officers. The black officers are now participating in this as well. So there is a power dynamic that goes along with this. And I, and I talk about that. I actually taught a class called human behavior. When I, in that class, when I taught human behavior, I talked about not only how police officers uh, should interact with people when they go into a scene, right? Because uh, you, mm-hmm. you're walking into a, you as a police officer, a police officer walking into a scene in which uh, people are being devastated, right? They lost a loved one. It's been a bad car accident. You're taking people's kids away, all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. And so there's a human reaction. So I want police officers to be prepared for that type of human interaction. But I always left the class and I talked about uh, um, a very famous psychological experiment that was done in the 1960s. Uh, I forget the guy's name right now. It's, it's, but uh, anyway, the purpose of this, that experiment was to show how much people will listen to authority. 
Um, it was actually done in Yale, Yale is it University. The Stanford experiment. Well, that was done in Stanford. Those are two experiments I do talk about. I do talk about the Stanford experiment, uh, which is okay, very, okay. which is which is very powerful. I do talk about that. The, the, I always leave the class when I talk about those two experiments. The first one, yes, it's the Stanford experiment, and the other one, uh, it's killing me. Um, it was done in, in Yale, New Haven, and when people put on, the, and essentially both of these experiments talk about when people get this power about them, they will be corrupted. Right? Absolute power corrupts absolutely. And I always mm-hmm. leave my officers with that mindset that don't become corrupted, don't become part of the problem, and don't become part of the situation. And let me just finish uh, with this. Is um, I, I understand that, you know, particularly with white officers, right? There's uh, the FBI back in 2006 released a report talking about how uh, white supremacist groups would try to infiltrate the police and right, the recruit military. them. Right, right. And the police and the military, right? And we see this going mm-hmm. on. Uh, just a, just the other day, there was this whole white power thing at the Army Navy game. I don't know if you guys heard about oh, that. Oh, I saw it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so this yeah, is going yeah. on. So, so this is going on. Even a couple of years ago, there was this uh, situation in the Air Force Academy where they were spray painting on the walls and all that kind of stuff. This is these are college students who have grown up to to a certain level, a certain degree. So, so my my point is is that um, I get it. It's pervasive. It's everywhere. And how to bridge that gap? It's it's an uphill battle, but it's one I'm worth uh, trying to fight. What are your thoughts on abolishing yeah. police? Oh, man, that's I do think that police need an overhaul, a major, major overhaul, uh, okay. a system reboot. We understand that uh, police officers or well, policing in this country. And I talked about this in a number of episodes. Please go back to and listen. I'm talking to the audience now. Please go back and listen to the previous <laughs> episodes. <laughs> um, uh, I talk about this in a number of episodes where the police in this country have been founded in slave catching and. Thank you. And they have been founded in uh, protection of the property of rich people, right? That was going mm-hmm. on in the, in the North, right? So we were protecting the, the, the property in the North and in the South. Again, they're protecting property, right? So this is the problem that we have. So these systems uh, need to be overhauled and need to be rebooted. Um, I, I think rather than abolishing the police, I, I think that we should have some type of system. What I think is we need is a federalized authority. Uh, if you look at other countries, comparable to the U.S., you know, first world countries, mm-hmm. they they have a, a centralized system of, of policing, right? And that's what we need here. My name is Bill Huffman, and I am a former Cleveland News producer, and I am now the host of the podcast, Who Killed? I began the show focusing on the unsolved murder of Amy Mihaljevic, and now each week I explore a different case with a focus on some of the victims who don't get the attention they deserve. I have a deep catalog of over 225 episodes, so there is a guarantee there will be something for you. Who Killed is an evergreen podcast, killer podcasts, and Slow Burn Media production. Subscribe today wherever you get your favorite shows. We are gathered here today to give you permission to plan the wedding that you want. I'm Jessica Bishop. And I'm Sari Wienerman. And we're the hosts of the Bouquet Toss podcast. Today's couples have to juggle so many things, from family expectations to outdated traditions and what's currently trending. So to make it easier, we're going deep to figure out why we do weddings the way that we do, so you can decide what to keep and what to toss from your wedding day plans. You are cordially invited to subscribe to The Bouquet Toss wherever you get your podcasts or at evergreenpodcast.com. By the power vested in us, we pronounce you free to plan your day your way.
you, I believe you guys are in Arizona, right? You guys are in Arizona. Yeah. So, so yeah. The, the laws could be completely different. So I live in Connecticut. I actually went to Arizona once. So I can get Are on the plane. Still in Connecticut? Yeah, okay. yeah. <laughs> well, I'll be moving soon. So. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so I get on the plane. As a resident of Connecticut, I'm used to the laws and, and, and practices here. I get on the plane. I go to Arizona, and, and some of the things can be completely different. I then get on another plane. I, I think Wendy, you grew up in Washington, right? Is that is that right? Yeah. 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 So I actually my, actually my my son was stationed in, at an Air Force base in Washington. So I went to go see him over the summer. So I can get on on a plane, go see my son or see your family in Washington and have a completely set of rules and regulations. Now, there are some standards. Yes, there are some 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 nationalized standards, court rulings and things like that. But that is a problem. That is a huge, huge problem where we can go to different parts of the country and things are done so differently. Just today, I I read an article uh, in the Chicago Tribune about how the new coming uh, superintendent or chief of police in Chicago. It's changing their promotional system. Okay. Um, so that's actually a problem where it, in Chicago, it, it takes uh, certain, uh, they would call it a merit system, right? Uh, mm-hmm. uh, the merit-based system to, to them is, and I, I'm hoping I'm saying this right, is that the more proactive and more productive that you are, then that goes into your opportunities to being promoted. Here in Connecticut, or at least in my department, and many other departments that I've sat on panels for, promotional panels for, it's all based on a test, right? So there's a written test and then there's an oral performance, oral board type of test. So think about how, how unfair that is. So I can be tested based on my, uh, my aptitude right here in Connecticut. I'm based, uh, I'm testing on my aptitude, my ability to speak, my ability to take a written test and all that kind of stuff. Where in Chicago and other places, it all depends on why or how productive you are, uh, how many motor vehicle many stops. Exactly. And that is why, exactly. Yeah. And that's why we get so many corrupt police officers because I want to mm-hmm. move up the ranks. So what do I got to do? Or oh, I got to get all these drug busts. What do I got to uh-huh. do? Arrest more people. I got to yeah. arrest more people. And that uh-huh. is, that is a serious problem. So I think uh, abolishing the police, I, you know, I don't know. Um, but I do think we need a very major system overhaul. Okay. Okay, that's fair. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I can agree with yeah. that. I can agree with that. I fucks with that idea. Am I allowed to try on here? <laughs> Sorry, I did it already. Uh, it's all right. <laughs> so so I, I listened to an episode where you talked about, talk, I think you were talking with another police officer um, about how people of color are not really interested in becoming police officers. Correct, yes. Yeah, um, I listened to that episode too. What do we do? Yeah. How do you think we can get more people interested in uh, getting on the police force? Yeah. So that's part of the changing the, the problems and the perceptions. When I became a police officer, many of my friends, obviously the majority of them were black, were like, oh, how can you do that job? And they would ask me what it was like. And I would tell them, listen, I enjoyed it. And I really did. I enjoyed doing what we were doing. But all they saw, all they thought of was that I was chasing people down and beating them up. Right. So that, were you? I was not. <laughs> <laughs> I was not. I certainly chased people down, but and I and I I used the correct amount oh, of force. <laughs> but but I think the conversations <laughs> like this need to happen um, because people need to be upfront and need to be honest about what what goes on. Number one and number two, I I think that people need to understand that um, what you see on TV is not always the way that it is, and that there are good police officers out there who are not abusing and using their authority to negative levels. So how do we change? How do I change that perception? Listen, I, I, I don't know. 
it is an uphill battle. I talked to people. I was part of my recruitment team. I went to colleges. I went to schools. I went to churches. I went to barbershops and talked to people. And then they all had the same uh, uh, mindset. Uh, mm-hmm. My son is in his uh, early 20s now. And many of his friends um, who were kind of, even though my son is in the Air Force, some of his friends, you know, are, they may be going to community college or, or working a job and everything like that. Uh, fairly positive people, right? No criminal records and all that. And I would talk to them and ask them to be, you know, consider taking the test. And they weren't interested either. Mm-hmm. So, I, you know, I don't know. And I, I know that I certainly did not present a negative image uh, of law yeah. enforcement. So right. this is a problem that we have to have. And, and it's a problem that, that is, uh, that needs to change. It really does need to change. Um, I talked yeah, to. Yeah, I don't see anything changing, uh, w- without more people of color in the, in the police. Force. Listen, it's only going to get worse. If people yeah, think that, the, right. that, that it's problematic now, uh, with the, uh, police officers who are out there, if imagine if there's less police officers and we've been given right. a, a great opportunity, right? The, the, sh- before we understand the shackles were on, uh, black officers, they only would allow one or two officers. The police officers, if, if you're black, were not allowed to arrest white people and all, all this kind of crazy stuff. Right, right. Now we're chiefs of police and all that kind of stuff. If we decide not to, the young generation decides not to become police officers or firefighters or, or enter into the military, what do you think is going to happen? I, yeah, I, it's I, I, I can't, get worse. it's just going to get that worse. Resonates. It, yeah. It, it, and so I'm trying to change that mindset. So, so what do you do as a black officer when you yeah. see a white officer doing some fuck shit? Like, um, saying the N word on unnecessary force. Um, pursuing black people in a predatory fashion when white people are doing the same stuff uh, in these fa- here in Connecticut, so there's probably a lot of fancy white people over there doing the same stuff over in their neighborhood. So what do you what do you do when you see wrongdoing in the department? And can are you even able to speak up as a black officer? Like, or is your career going to be ruined and then the problem never gets better? Even though there are more black officers, there's just, we can't, we're there, but we can't say anything. So, yeah, so that's a really good question and a really tough question. I got to say, and I'm, I'm really going to be honest with you. I never saw that. I saw that one time when, um, what? no, I'm, I'm dead serious. I, I would, I'm dead serious. I saw it were once. Were you a police officer one for one day? How long were you on the force? <laughs> I was on for 24 years. <laughs> so, for, so what, there was a day when, uh, uh, I don't, I don't think that they knew that I was actually there. And okay. so, uh, so it was a big kind of a fight that was going on outside. The number of people, the number of officers showed up and I heard this guy call, uh, uh, one of the persons who was under arrest, the N word. So I, so I'm walking around the corner and of course the, the guy sitting down, he's looking at me. I'm looking at the officer and I can see the officer drop his head. And so a little bit later, the officer did apologize to the guy and then he came up to me and apologized. Uh, we're still, we're still actually fairly cool to this day, but listen, I understand. Uh, I, I, I you know, understand. that wasn't the first time he said that. I, I, I don't, I don't, <laughs> I don't, uh, listen, I'm not, I'm not ignorant or naive in saying that, that it doesn't happen. Uh, yeah. when I, I talked about working at the booking desk, when I was a supervisor at the booking desk, people would constantly come in and say, this officer called me the N word, this constant, this officer did this, this, did that. And I would say, and I'm giving, we had a complaint form. I said, okay, listen, give me a complaint form. Do you have the guy's name? Do you have his badge number? Do you have his card number? Things like that. 
And if and a lot of times they wouldn't have it, they wouldn't know. Okay, describe the officer. What can, what did you look like? What street were you were you on? Um, that way, I can try to isolate this kind of stuff. And one of the biggest frustrations is is that people don't complain or they don't have this information. Or they won't tell me where uh, the, what street it was on. And they would say things like, uh, "I'll just forget it. You guys ain't going to do anything anyway." I'm like, "Well, listen, you got to tell me. I'm 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 standing here just like you are, man to man. Tell me what happened, and I'll, and I'll deal with the situation." And a lot of mm-hmm. times they wouldn't fill out the form. We had a policy where even if uh, someone doesn't want to fill out the form, we still had to investigate. So I would still look into it to the best of my ability. But as far as people doing things that they that they weren't. Uh, going into certain neighborhoods, targeting people. Uh, I never saw that. I, I never saw that. I never saw A that. couple of things that are kind of wild about um, policing in the United States is um, the recourse that officers have. Like in some police departments, um, complaints are not released to the public. Um, in, other com- in other departments, uh, after a year, any complaints that they had or, or wrongdoings on their record are uh, erased. Um, uh, in, in some, uh, jurisdictions, you're not allowed to, um, file a complaint against a police officer. So there's all these, like, you're right. There should be, I, I think my dream is to abolish police, but if we do do an overhaul, I do agree that a, a federalized, um, uh, system that is, uh, uniform, um, and just, uh, is, is, is definitely in order. But I mean, I am just so frustrated by um, policing Um, and I, out of fear, again, tell my children to be be careful around the police because um, as black people, they are, for some reason, they're just afraid of us. And I don't understand why police are so afraid of a black body and um, can treat it with such um, disregard, um, either by shooting it. Uh, you know, remember, remember, uh, that pool, the video of the, the black girls at the pool party and the police officer just slammed that girl on the ground for no reason. I mean, oh, things yeah. like that that are just why you wouldn't, nobody would do that to a, a white teenager. There's also the, um, we've talked about on our show, the adultization of, um, kids of color. And, um, once, uh, a black or brown kid reaches, a boy reaches age five, they're looked at as not children anymore. And um, that whatever bad things come their way or happen to them are entirely their fault. Tamir Rice was 12 years old and he was playing with a toy gun in the park and the police came up and within three seconds, that little boy was dead. So I, I can't get those things out of my mind. And I wonder what you do when you see the news and see there's been so many examples of just how um, wrong policing in the United States is. What do you do? What do you tell your friends? How do you explain yourself? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, listen, this is a tough. This is a tough conversation. In 1997, uh, I believe that was the year of Amadou Diallo. And, oh, yeah, yeah. Is, so remember this one, Beth. Forty-two gunshots, and the man was just digging in his wallet to get his identification in front of his own goddamn yeah. house. Yeah. Ohio is a land of mystery, from missing shipwrecks and lost treasure beneath her surface to strange phenomenon slicing through her skies, from myths that have evolved around historic events and people to the unsolved murders and disappearances that keep her communities wondering what happened. 
Find Ohio Mysteries on your favorite podcast app, and let's explore the inexplicable. OhioMysteries.com I'm Sean McCabe. And I'm Carrie McCabe. We are, well, married, obviously, <laughs> but we're also obsessed with the darker side of things. True crime stories, alien abductions, poltergeists. If it leaves you scratching your head and keeping those lights on at night, we want to hear about it. That's why we host the podcast, Ain't It Scary, with Sean and Carrie. Every week, we bring our listeners a true story guaranteed to send chills down your spine, from history's most brutal serial killers to the mystery of spontaneous human combustion. Yep, lots of these stories leave unanswered questions behind, and you'll get to poke through the rubble of the evidence with a hardened skeptic and... Someone whose mind is more open to fun. Yeah, that's what I was going to (laughs) say. You can find Ain't It Scary with Sean and Carrie wherever you get your podcasts, and on social media at Ain't It Scary. Come play with us. Hello, this is Gary Chahot welcoming you to check out the French History Podcast. Our main show covers the history of France from the first humans until present. If you liked Mike Duncan's The History of Rome and wanted a similar program covering the land of beauty, culture, and love, we are exactly that. We also host world-renowned scholars who have delivered guest episodes on their specialties, including 18th century pirates, revolutionary booksellers in 20th century Paris, the special friendship between the Marquis de Lafayette and Thomas Jefferson, and numerous others. Learn what you love and listen to the French History Podcast today. So I got a lot of phone calls about that. Um, I was on the job for two years and I got to try to explain this. And I'm going down the road of what I was told about uh, use of force and all that kind of stuff. Obviously, people weren't buying it. And I don't know if I was buying it. And mm-hmm. that that actually kind of started me on my journey about reading a little bit more, exploring a little bit more. Well, why this? Why that? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, so I saw the same, uh, pool party video that you saw, uh, that was down in Texas, the more, the mm-hmm. more recent one with the doll that was down in Phoenix, right. Uh, with the, uh, the dollar store. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, listen, I'm just as hurt by that. That was T- nuts. Yeah. T- mm-hmm. Tamir Rice, uh, um, all, all this kind of stuff is, is really, really, devastating and i don't have explanations for it only thing i can do is try to change it as far as yes i I agree with you the uh the the looking at children who are above the age i think i think psychologically it's like age eight the people they stop seeing them as as whatever it's Uh, different for boys and girls right so girls girls it's uh i think it's eight and boys it's five Right. So th- this is a problem. Um, and so we have a, st- we have a serious problem and this is not a policing problem. This is a cultural problem, right? Uh, mm-hmm. this is, this is a United States problem. Th- the same, the same type of things that we're talking about happen in, in, in doctor's offices, uh, in, yeah. in prescribing of medications, right? Uh, yep. th- they give more medications to white people than they do to black yeah. people. Um, white women. Right. And so they, <laughs> yeah. they, uh, the same thing happens in, in schools, uh, mm-hmm. in, in, you know, in how they suspend people in disciplinary, uh, procedures. So this mm-hmm. is a problem that, that needs to be addressed across the board. And there yeah. is not, and there has not been a racial reckoning in this country for a number of reasons. 
um, that is too far for me to explain. And mm-hmm. this, this problem that we're talking about is really just a cultural United States problem that we really need to look in the, in the mirror and say, this is the problem. But I think, mm-hmm. but I think, yeah, that's I, a I, good point. That I, was th- a yeah. point. I think a yeah. bigger problem is, is one that, that Beth, could answer is why does this persist? Now I'm not asking you to speak for all white people, obviously. But what's going on? What's going on? Well you said that you guys said that in an episode the other day. Don't you know him or something like that? I heard that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I don't know why you don't know <laughs> Um so you know why does this happen? Why and, and the police are just a simple a symptom of this problem. And, uh-huh. and and at one time they were they, they were the gatekeepers of uh, white society, keeping the others away and keeping them in their place. Um, mm-hmm. That's changing slowly, but it's too well, slow. I think, yeah, I, I think part of the problem that I see is that a white a lot of white people don't think that there's a problem. They yeah. don't. Um, they think that racism is solved. Yeah, it's solved now. So why why do you keep talking about this? Because uh, everything's good now. Yeah, um, they don't they don't understand. They don't see. And there's a lot of things that I didn't understand until we started this podcast mm-hmm. and uh, had a lot of discussions. Um, we just don't talk about it in yeah. white society you know we're like oh racism is solved so yeah um but it's not <laughs> <laughs> yeah so and- um i think having more discussions and sharing this information is really important absolutely yeah yeah we're doing the lord's work over at fruit loops <laughs> <laughs> but yeah we're I mean, doing and- what we can <laughs> yeah and uh, having conversations i think is is I think the the easiest way to start. Um, and we always say on our show that it's a safe space. Like we, me or Beth might not always say the right things or have the right language to talk about this problem of um, really racism um, in, in the United States, racism, xenophobia and all that stuff. Um, but uh, at least we're trying. So it's a start. Yeah. And, I was pretty nervous about doing a podcast about people of color um, because I was afraid I would say something offensive. And uh, uh, Wendy said, uh, well, we'll just um, our, call our podcast a safe space um, mm-hmm. and just talk. And I think a lot of people are nervous about talking about race, like even talking about race might be racist. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Like um, uh, when, when somebody's like, um, he's African American, and they say it like really pronounced, like they they want to say it wrong. You know what I mean? They could just say yeah, or, or they you know they mean? look away, or or they say it really quiet. You yeah, know? like like just saying <laughs> it is is yeah. racist. <laughs> yeah, it's not. You gotta talk about it. Tell the truth. <laughs> say it with your chest. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. See it. Yeah, I think that's the only way uh, is to, to to talk about it. Yeah. And I, I definitely agree that there's a lot of white people who don't think that there is a problem. Uh, I did talk to one guy, his name is Michael Bell. It's a previous episode. And he said, you know, he was an Air Force colonel. I think he was actually a major at the time. And so he said, and he admitted this on, on when I, during the interview, he said, when I saw these things on the TV and I uh, read them bottom in, in the newspapers, I didn't, I thought the black community was, was exaggerating. I thought that they were just whatever. 
And mm-hmm. it wasn't until it had come to his house, to his home, right? The police in Kenosha, Wisconsin had killed his son. And they, mm. it was a, there was a big, oh, no. there was, there was a big cover up. And so oh, he no. thought that he thought oh, that, God. yeah, yeah, yeah. It, um, so he thought there was, it was something that only happened in one particular, uh, community. And so when he saw it firsthand, when it came to his house, then he understood that, that there is a serious problem with policing. Um, mm-hmm. and so, yeah, uh, and, and it's very unfortunate that so many people don't think that there is a problem, think that everything's okay, that certain people are just whining or complaining, or they need to get their stuff together or stop committing so many crimes or, or what, whatever they think, you know, yeah. um, and, yeah. right. and, and stop being as, as Wendy said, you know, targeted or, or overly policed and all that kind of stuff. So. I <laughs> yeah, and I think a lot of people don't. Uh, I was just going to say a lot of people don't um, look at things like that unless something happens to them, unless right. they're impacted in some right. way, yeah, and that's unfortunate hard. too. Yeah, I think that's human nature, though. Um, yeah, I uh, was talking to a dude. <laughs> he is a rich white guy, and he was like so excited because he went on a ride along with police. And I was like, you got in a police car on purpose <laughs> and, and rode around with him all day? Like, it, it was baffling to me. <laughs> but he was, he, was, he, he was so excited. He got to put on a bulletproof vest and ride around with him all day and, like, go into, a, a, a you know, like, crime scenes and stuff. I was just like, oh, my, like, to me, that sounds very dangerous. Because you might not get out of that car or ever go home again. If, if I mean, if, if, from my from my vantage point, so I just thought that was really strange. And again, wh- I think white white people and and people of color look at police very differently. Like Beth, Beth, Beth probably uh, can attest to this. Like if, yeah. if something bad yeah. happened, yeah, to yeah, you, your first thought is call nine one one. Call nine one one. Yeah. I gotta get the Annie's over here. I gotta, I gotta call the pastor. I got. I, I think of calling so many other people first before the police, <laughs> because it could, it could. Because if I get shot, whoever called the police ought to be on trial for um, uh, uh, accessory to murder. In my again, in my in my opinion. But having this conversation with you makes me a little less fearful. Like I have a little bit of hope that things there's a way for things to improve and maybe by just having these conversations, we can all um, get there. I think that the police need to take this first step forward and that uh, what, what I would suggest to, if there's any other officers listening and or chiefs of police, I think the first thing that they need to do is develop those community relationships. Um, we had a power. Yeah, pro- I think that's really important. We had a mm-hmm. power program, police activity league in which I coached, uh, for a while. Police officers need to go to churches, go to parks and not just, uh, run people's names, but go there, shoot hoops with the kids and just interact with them so they can get yeah. to see a different side of the police. And so they can build that community trust uh, within them. And I think that's the first and most important step that we can, that we can take without this police reform and all that, without the abolishing the police, just get to know people on a one-on-one basis. And I think that that would alleviate a lot of fear, right? This fear that we yeah. talked about where uh, it's seemingly that white, white officers have this fear of black people. It may not even be a fear, but it's just this um, disregard of black bodies, if we can call it that, right? So, yeah. um, so they can get over that and see, man, this kid over here is right. really, is really, really trying 
I know he's got some problems, but he's really trying. Let me help this kid and help, help him to go to school or, you know, buy him a, a, a cheeseburger or whatever. And you really get to know people. And that will break down this, this, uh, this binary and wall that we have between us. And that would, I think that that would help to bridge that gap very much. I got two questions for you. One, is your son yeah, at Fairchild Air Force Base? I'm sorry? Is your son at Fairchild Air Force Base? Uh, he, he was at McCord. He's being reassigned, oh. though. Oh, to, okay. Yeah. Anyway, and then my other question is, if a police officer buys a, kiss, a, a cheeseburger, does the department reimburse that officer? <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> okay. But anyway, I agree with you. <laughs> Yes, I, I agree uh, very much so. Um, I was going to say that when I was younger, you know, when you're a teenager and stuff, um, mm-hmm. you know, you like you were talking about in school, you hear stories. And so I was a little bit afraid of the cops. I was afraid they were going to, I don't know, I, I don't do anything wrong, but <laughs> I was afraid sure. they were going to bust me just for whatever reason. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, um, it wasn't until I was older and I actually met some police officers. My daughter or my daughter, my sister uh, dated a police officer. And, um, you know, I had to call 911 a few times. And um, the ones that were nice to me, I was like, oh, okay, uh, cops are okay. And uh, so when you were talking about the community um, interacting or the police interacting with the community, I think that is key, really, um, having conversations and the uh, police officers, uh, like you said, interacting with the community in a way that's not policing. Right. Uh, yeah, it's huge. It's huge. It's number one. That's the that's we can do that. Police officers could do that today, literally. And within you know six months, uh, the public would definitely have a different view of them. Now, all the barriers and all the. Uh, prejudices would not go away overnight, but, but you would have a different view of the police if you knew that they were going to your church and they were showing up for, they were passing out Halloween candy and giving out Thanksgiving turkeys and, and all that kind of, you, it, your, your view of them they would be do so that? hanging out. Yeah. Do they do that? I, I did that. Yeah. I went to the, oh. I went to our local boys club and uh, I, I passed out uh, turkeys to the boys club. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, damn. I did that. Okay. Yeah. A lot of things, a lot of things really had to do with the vision of the department and our, uh, the vision of our department. I know it's uh, Connecticut, but we really did believe in community engagement. I did. I told you about what I did on a, on, on a Thanksgiving one time. I coached uh-huh. in our police activity league. Um, we have community engagement. We shut down the road just this past summer. Well, actually I was gone. I was retired at the time, but they, we, they shut down the road. And let the kids come, and they had a bouncy house, and passed out hamburgers and cheeseburgers just to get to know your oh, police sweet. officer. Kind of. So, so yeah. that kind of stuff uh, is something that we did, and it is very, very important. That's why um, when we had, for lack of better terms, um, some uh, controversial shootings and other controversies, when people tried to say it was racist, the two groups that chimed in to defend the police department was our local NAACP chapter and our, oh, wow. uh, and our, what? and our, I, I forget the name. <laughs> I forget the name of the organization, but it was the, the Hispanic coalition or whatever. Um, those two groups, those two groups came to the police department's defense when it tried to put in the paper that and in the newspaper that we had done some things wrong. And I was working at this time. And so the more community engagement you have in working with the public, 
it's especially the minority groups, NAACP yeah. and, and Hispanic coalitions. If you build those coalitions, um, you know, they will come to your defense. And our oh. department really speaks well yeah. and highly of that. Now, that, now, I'm not saying that we didn't have problems because we did yeah. have problems and things did happen. We had to fire a number of officers for a number of different things. But firing people and taking those disciplinary actions um, really mean something. And they help to turn the public perception around, you know. So mm-hmm. I'm going to add that to right. the prayer list. Police coalitions. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> well, well um, go ahead. I'm sorry. I can't, think, I can't think of anything else to add. Like this has been a very rich, meaty conversation. <laughs> very much so. So <laughs> I, I truly, uh, I thank you guys for for coming on. And let's just talk about Fruitless for a little bit. You, sure. you guys are uh, how many episodes in? How many seasons? You guys do seasons episodes? I, I'm going backwards, so I'm like, <laughs> yeah, I've only. <laughs> So we have three seasons. Okay. Uh, oh, they're going to get worse as you go backwards. Quality is going to get worse. But, you know, uh, <laughs> we have three seasons. We have um, 90 episodes total, um, but 71 episodes that are released for free. We have um, some bonus content. So those there's uh, some bonus episodes that we have on our uh, pa- Patreon and Patreon pages. Um, and, uh, we, we, we're pretty committed, so we're going to, we're going to keep it going. We're going to take a little break for the holidays, but we, uh, we're going to, we're going to, we're in it. We're in it to win it. So when I first heard about your guys' podcast, I was like, yeah, okay, this is great. This is a great idea. About about time people are talking about, you know, uh, serial killers and, and then I start thinking, wait a minute. How many black serial killers or or people? Are, <laughs> yeah, we get that a, a lot. I'm yeah. you. Yeah, we get that a lot. We get that a lot. But the the OG is on the line here. She'll tell you there's lots of them. Okay. <laughs> and we can give there's like tons of them. We have a whole. Oh my god! Yeah, yeah. we have a huge list. Huge list. Okay. Yeah. So right, well. uh, we have like like four years worth of yeah. Uh, I was going to say we'll right be here now. for a long time. <laughs> okay. That, well, that's awesome. Yeah. I'll be I'll be looking yeah. looking and listening, and uh, I have to take a break every now and then because, like I said, I get nightmares. So I yeah I certainly appreciate what you guys do. I think it's very important. I I certainly appreciate you, Beth, for 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 doing this. Um, and to in, in bridging the gap, because I think that, you know, as more people uh, think like you and step into that waters, then, it, you know, you get to know people and you mm-hmm. get to understand that people are yeah. people. If there's everybody always hears about the white serial killers, we all get that. And yeah. but if you know that right. black people had the same amount of problems and if you tie it into what you guys have to mental health. Uh, there's a lot of different things that go in there. And if we realize we get people the mental health that they need, mm-hmm. then we can stop a lot of this pain that we all, uh, that we're all victims of. Right. Right. So. Right. Right. Yeah. Hashtag right, be like right. Beth. Yeah. <laughs> She's the best white lady I know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I appreciate that, but yeah. I just, uh, I don't, I don't think I'm that special. I just think uh, people should, treat each other decently and i i don't think that should be special <laughs> you know what i mean <laughs> well unfortunately the yeah. world is terrible and it yeah. is special <laughs> yeah. um uh but uh, thanks so much for having us on your show like it, this yeah is, thank this you dope thank you and your show is fantastic i think um you really yeah, are really having important conversations that 
are have been eye opening to me as somebody who's terrified of law enforcement. Um, but uh, now I know you, and I don't have to, I don't have to be as scared. Yes. <laughs> so thank you. Well, no problem, yeah. and uh, I'm glad. I'm glad. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah. Uh, shout out to podcasting, and thanks again for your time. Yeah. Thank you. So <laughs> what do much. I do now? I'd like to yeah, have you guys back on in a in some time, and we could talk about uh, whatever crazies yeah, are out there. Yeah, that'd be great. So, yeah. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. <laughs> all right. Well, good luck. Thank you so much. And don't get married. Yeah. All right. So. Yeah, don't get married. <laughs> okay. You, you either. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. All right. Bye. I want to thank my co-hosts. That's what I'm going to call them for this episode. Wendy and Beth from the Fruit Loops Serial Killers of Color podcast for coming on the podcast and taking over Captain Hunter's podcast. Thank you so much to them. I love their energy. I love what they're doing. They have four years of content coming up. And just to think in another four years, you know, all the information that is going to come in and we're probably going to learn about more information and um, more serial killers and all that kind of stuff. So I'm sure that their show will be going on for going on and growing on for quite some time. So I wish them all the best of luck in their endeavors and uh, make sure that you guys are subscribing, sharing and liking. Head on over to Venmo, PayPal, or Cash App or the Patreon page and support Captain Hunter's podcast. Also remember to uh, follow me on Instagram and Twitter and Captain Hunter's podcast on Facebook. As they would say at the end of their show, try not to get murdered. Thank you so much. Much love and peace. On the morning of August 1st, 1966, shots ring out from the observation deck of the clock tower on the University of Texas campus. It marks the infamous beginning of the modern era of mass shootings in America. You're listening to Stop the Killing podcast. Join us as we take you behind the crime scene tape to explain global mass shootings and mass attacks. I'm Sarah Ferris, but more importantly, this is Catherine Schweitz, the former head of the FBI's active shooter program. I spent five years as the FBI's top executive looking for answers to the mass shooting crisis. I've been at the shooting scenes. I've traced heroic acts of bravery. And I've sat silently and listened to the heart-wrenching stories from survivors. Amongst this horror, there is hope. We all hold the key to stop the killing. You just need to know how to unlock the door. Download Stop the Killing and be part of the solution. Search Stop the Killing on Apple, Spotify, and all the usual suspects. Hi, I'm Matt Harris. Seton Tucker and I host the podcast Impact of Influence, which for two years covered in-depth Alec Murdoch, who was eventually convicted in 2023 of murdering his wife, Maggie, and son, Paul. That story continues to evolve, and we will cover that. Plus, we will tell you stories of other true crime events that have happened in the South. Please join us on Impact of Influence. And give us a follow on the Impact of Influence Facebook page.